So um, I, uh, this has absolutely nothing to do with the message. And so I, I know sometimes this is a little awkward when you talk about something different and then go into something else, and so there's kind of a hard break. But I just want us to have a moment uh, in our service where we uh, spend some time in prayer uh, with each other and for each other and for our country um, after Wednesday's events and all of the things that come with that, the deep emotions, uh, the heated conversations, um, the tense moments uh, that we feel uh, and experience with each other, I think it's worth it to uh, just kind of pause for a moment and pray together. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is simply uh, bow your heads and or however you uh, typically pray and, uh, and do that now. Uh, and then I will close us out with, a, with an audible prayer. So let's do that now. God, we lift up our hearts and our minds uh, to you, admitting that your thoughts and your wisdom is higher, um, and God, in a very uh, active way, we ask that our thoughts and our prayers be directed uh, in such a way that it would impact how we handle things in our life, uh, tragedies, um, political opinions, uh, dialogue with others when significant things happen in our lives and in, and in our nation. God, we ask that um, how we choose to interact with those issues and how we deal with them and the actions that we take would be pleasing to you and would point to you and would glorify and honor you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I appreciate that. It's kind of a hard break uh, from that because uh, in my introduction, I was going to start talking about pranks. I don't know when the last time you were uh, part of a big prank. Uh, for me, it was in college. And you could normally tell when somebody had been pranked because of uh, the Kool-Aid that was put in the shower head. You guys know about that one? You ever seen that? I'm giving some of you ideas. I realize that now. Uh, maybe this is a bad, a bad choice. Or the uh, incredibly odorous things that were hidden in somebody's room and they would have to find it later. Or the firecrackers that were lit outside of somebody's window. Uh, there's some other things, and, and some of you uh, know me from back then. I'm looking, looking out and thinking, I think the statute of limitations is up on some of those things, but I think I'll stop there, but the thing about uh, the thing about pranks is uh, it's great initially when you do it, but you always got to watch out for what payback. There, there's always payback, and there's this one particular prank. Have you seen the water bottle coin trick? Do you know this? April Fools is coming up. Some of you don't know what this is. I'm, I'm going to show it to you real quick. Honey, I'm yes. going to show you a trick. Okay, show me a trick. See the penny? I see the penny. I'll put this bottle of water right on top of the penny. Okay. And I'm going to put this over it. Okay. And when I say the magic words, yeah. the penny's going to go inside the bottle. Really? Yes. Okay, let me see this happen. Okay. Now I got the towel. Boogie boogie. Boogie boogie. Boogity boogity. Boogity boogity. Okay. Now you look down in there and the penny's inside the bottle. Oh! 
she's got the best laugh, doesn't it? And he's got the greatest reaction, because you can kind of look at him and tell he's probably not going to do a bunch of payback, right? I mean, you just kind of tell his spirit. He might try to get her back, and maybe they'll, you know, forget that they did that, and he'll try it on her next. But there's some people that you just know that, well, <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, but there's some people you just know, like, you don't, you don't mess with. There's some people that you know, like, initially it seems like it would be fun to take something from them, but then they end up having a special kind of skill set, like Liam Neeson. Or, or there's some people, <laughs> there he is. Uh, and then there's some people that you know, like, you just, uh, there's just certain things you don't mess with when it comes to their, uh, their life, like you don't touch their car, like uh, Keanu Reeves. You don't, you don't mess with them. So initially, it seems like, oh, this is going to be great, that initial pleasure and enjoyment, then turns into the realization that your gamble, you know, ends up in a check that you can't cash. Not that we put ourselves in those kind of situations at all. In fact, I actually think, I think we kind of prank ourselves a lot of times when it comes to our money and our finances. We put ourselves in precarious payback situations. You know, stuff like where I found myself things... Maybe you don't say stuff like this, but I, I, I say stuff like, this sale is actually going to save me money in the long run. Do you know it's not a sale if you weren't planning on buying it? Did you know, like that's, I, and okay. I don't, I don't give financial advice or anything, but there you go. Or have you ever said, like me, it's been a really rough day and this will make me feel better? You ever done that? Anybody want to go to Gelati Celesti? <laughs> or maybe you said, I work hard, I really deserve this. You know, it doesn't always end well, necessarily. Uh, no matter what mood we're in, spending money feels good. I mean, that initial thing, man, it makes us feel better. There's only one problem. Most of us are spending, and I'm not just talking about velocity, but I'm talking about we live in a culture where many of us, most of us, spend money we don't have, and we have the piles of debt to show for it. According to the New York Fed, in quarter three of 2017, consumer borrowing reached an all-time high of $3.83 trillion. And I, like economists and stuff like that, I get inflation and all that kind of stuff, but still, like we're still breaking records. According to a 2017 survey, 57% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their th- savings and 39% have none at all. Our average credit card debt and this is, again, we keep climbing and making new records. It's $15,654. And just to be clear, as we talk about this topic this morning, this landmine, this financial landmine of debt and how we handle our money in life, I know that sometimes life delivers a blow like a big medical emergency that throws us into debt through no fault of our own. And I get those type of situations happen and they exist. And we're not talking about that this morning. Um, if you're in that kind of a situation, that's separate from the temptation to spend what we don't have. Because if we're honest, that's the reason most of us have ended up in debt at some point in our lives. We live in a culture of instant gratification. We see something we want, we can have it now and pay for it eventually, uh, on average with just over 16% of interest as we go. And where does it leave us? Exhausted, worried, overwhelmed, and whether or not you are there right now, many of the people that you know of in your life, your family and your friends are. They're struggling with each other and with life. 
Thousands of years ago, King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 said, The borrower is slave to the lender. Because even as a wise king and someone who's rich and probably didn't ever have to be indebted to anyone, he could see and probably held a lot of people's debt, the risk and the repercussions of accruing irresponsible debt. Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about stuff like well-thought-out and planned-for mortgages and business decisions. We're talking about irresponsible debt that's built on instant gratification that can enslave us and own us. And it's a problem because it robs us of the freedom to be able to trust in God's provision. There is a different way of living, and there is good news, and there is a different path that can rescue us from those past mistakes and help us avoid those pitfalls in the future. And part of that is what we're talking about. Last week, we identified, hey, there's one truth that we have to place our belief and trust in God on, and that is all that we have, all that is mine, is actually God's. I'm just a steward of that, and I've got to determine whether or not my stuff is going to own me or I'm going to own God's stuff and steward it for him. But the second truth with that that is built upon that truth is that you and I, we really can live joyfully within God's provision. If we're willing to set our lives up on the foundation of belief that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, then we can actually live joyfully within God's provision. If we're going to trust the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, that God cares about us more than birds and wildflowers, then we can live joyfully within God's provision because he cares for us more than anything else. And so I just want to, I want to share one of the things I'm going to do, and this is not original to me, this is a very complicated uh, graphic that I'm going to share with you to try to give you a visual of what it looks like to live, what God's provision looks like, and, and what it looks like to live within that. So I, this, this is going to be, this is very technical here, and I didn't come up with this, but this is a picture of God's provision. You didn't know it looked like that, did you? Squiggly line. Now, for some, for some of you, the reason that this is going to be profound is you've never heard a pastor been in a church that has said, God's provision looks like something other than a straight upward angle diagonal line. Because some of you have heard and you have been taught that in order for you to know that you're within God's will, or that he's providing for you, or that you're living your life the right way, you've got to be rich and everything's got to be great for you all the time, and that's just not how it works. That's not what it looks like. We're going to see an example of why that's true in Philippians chapter 4 this morning as we look at Paul's life and what he talks about and how he talks about God's provision in his life. But this is what God's provision looks like. And sometimes I impact what that provision looks like because of my decisions, sometimes my stupid decisions or sometimes good decisions where I follow him. Sometimes it's life circumstances. But this is the ebb and flow of life of how God takes care of us at the top and at the bottom. And so let's, let's add debt to the graphic, because we're the ones who bring that into the picture, and that's what this looks like, the red line. Now, I, I want to give you a definition for debt and what that looks like, and so we'll come back to this picture here in just a second, but this is what Bill Hybel says about debt and how he defines it. Debt is wanting more than God's current provision for your life and arranging another way of getting it for yourself. I'm going to read it one more time, because I think it's worth doing so. Debt is wanting more than God's current provision for your life and arranging another way of getting it for yourself. I'm not talking about well-planned mortgages. 
I'm not talking about business decisions and those kinds of things. I'm talking about, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we look, we go back to the graphic, and we look at those ebbs and flows of life, and, and we can recognize and acknowledge that God has provided me with the clothes that I'm wearing. We're all wearing clothes this morning. Okay, God's providing for you. God's providing for the food that I have and the shelter that I have. And yet, you know what? I think I deserve more. You're worth it. You're, you're I mean, you're special. And so, you know, I, God, God has given you the baseline level there, but you, you deserve more than that. And that's what we tell ourselves. That's what we hear. For, that's how we're marketed to and manipulated to spend more than what we have. And so we follow the red line. And we follow that trend and introduce my provision level and how we need to, where we think it should be because God must have gotten it wrong. And in a fleeting moment, it feels good. It makes us feel better. We've gotten the thing that we wanted. And it makes us happy. But inevitably, it always leads to the slavery that Solomon warned about. And it starts to own us. And it starts to direct our path. And it starts to make us think differently about who God is and how he provides for us and it robs us of the joy that he wants and the freedom that he wants us to experience. So I said we're going to be looking in uh, Philippians this morning. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 and looking at a verse that actually is typically used for a lot of other different things other than finances, but when Paul wrote it, he was actually talking about this topic. And so let me set a little bit of context for you. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, Paul is writing to the Philippians from jail. He's in prison. He has been in prison for quite a while. And so he's connecting with this church that he helped start. He's talking with them about what it looks like to live out their faith. And the church, the, the church in Philippi, the Christ followers there, have just sent Paul a generous gift to help him meet his needs in the midst of their own suffering for their faith, their own difficulties that they're living out. Um, but Paul is about to tell them the secret to how they can be free from that same anxiety and that same difficulty in living out their faith that they're experiencing. And so here, here's Paul from jail thanking from them for their gift. And he writes this in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying, so he's talking about the gift that he has received from them while he's in prison. But he gives a caveat. He says, I'm not saying this. I appreciate this gift, and I'm so glad that you did this and allow God to work through you. But I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Which may not seem like a big deal, but the prevailing wisdom of the day is that contentment from philosophers like Aristotle... Um, the contentment looked like self-sufficiency. The, the way that you, like contentment was a very good thing for you to be happy with what you have and, and to live that, but the way that you achieved that happiness and the way that you achieved that contentment is that you did everything in your power and control to set yourself up so that when the ebbs and flows of life come along, you don't have to worry about a thing. So what you want to do, I mean, Aristotle was rich. <laughs> he taught Alexander. He enjoyed very high, you know, so it's easy to talk about self-sufficiency when you're in a place in life where you're well t taken care of. And so the idea of self-sufficiency was very popular, and I would say it's still the prevailing wisdom of the day. I mean, we're all supposed to find the means within ourselves to take care of things, Right? 
men and women of our house, like we're the ones who are supposed to earn our money. We're supposed to be the ones who climb the corporate ladder and stress over our 401ks. And that's why we swipe our credit cards again and again, so we can stockpile possessions, so we can have more stuff, to feel more secure, to take matters in our own hands to try and get it, because we're chasing contentment. We're chasing wanting to feel better about a situation that we can already be joyful and free in. See, Paul already claims to have found this contentment, but in a very different way. And he continues on saying in chapter uh, 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And Paul knows this because he's lived in plenty and he's lived in want. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been in... Situations where he was actually very well thought of when he initially started out. He was part of the Jewish religious elite, and so he's very comfortable. He lived a great life, and so he's seen the contrast of having a lot and having a little. And yet, it's at a time where he's in prison that he says, I have finally learned what it actually means to be content in life. What he's saying that he's learned is that a material abundance is not the basis for contentment. And, and deep down, like, we, we know this is true because we know we've bought stuff, and as soon as you buy it, you have buyer's remorse and realize, oh, I could have got uh, different options over here. Oh, they just released a new one over here. Oh, I, you know, that I just dropped it and it broke. You know, I, like, I got a, my iPhone 6 a few years ago, and within six days, I dropped it on concrete and cracked the screen. You know, it's like that, that kind of stuff. You know, you know you've been there, and so, so, so we know Money doesn't buy happiness and stuff doesn't provide it, but we don't believe it. We don't, we don't live like we know that it's true, generally speaking. We need to discover Paul's secret, and here it is, and here's where it reveals it, and here's the verse that a lot of people use incorrectly and miss the point. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The secret to Paul's contentment was not self-sufficiency and providing security for himself and acquiring things. It was God's sufficiency. And that's the secret to living joyfully within God's provision in your life. The secret to joyful contentment is not self-sufficiency, it's God's sufficiency. Everything about Paul's life was God-centered. He didn't get fixated on the circumstances he found him in, whether or not they were good or bad. He fixed his gaze on the God he followed and trusted him to give the strength to walk through whatever might come his way. I can do all things who give me strength. We see that on bumper stickers. We see that at football games, inspirational posters. But contrary to the way that it's often used, it's not about winning the big game or getting the big job promotion or passing the hard test. It's actually a statement about learning to live joyfully within God's provision for our lives, that God gives us the strength to find contentment no matter our circumstances. And when he is at the center of our lives, we discover what we have is enough. So with that in mind, like, what does that graphic look like? What does it look like to have a God-centered way to deal with finances and how we deal with money? Because we're all going to spend money. It's a part of our culture, it's a part of our way of life, and unless you decide to live off the grid and not deal with, you know, exchange of value for other products, you're going to have to deal with it. So what does that look like to live joyfully within God's current provision in our life? And so on our graphic, it looks like this. 
It looks like that blue line where, it lear- where we learn to make financial decisions not on impulses or sale prices or keeping up with the Joneses, but we spend according to God's current provision for our lives. It's where we draw the line with our tithes and our offerings and the prioritization of our wants and needs. So God doesn't go through, and it's not like there's this list that we have in the Bible somewhere where he says, all right, this goes over in this category, this goes over in this category, and he doesn't call us to go through and make you know, a list of want and needs in our life. We're simply called to trust him for our needs and to be wise stewards of everything else he provides with the recognition that my wants are never-ending. While God's provision for my life, what I actually need in life, it does have a limit. It doesn't have to be never-ending. And that's why in order to spend money wisely, to treat God's provision as good stewards, we have to learn to prioritize. And so we ask, what is most important to me? That Jesus and his mission, is it our family? Is it our friends? Is it creating a place of beauty for others and yourself to enjoy? Is it a hobby? Is it a passion? Is it taking vacation with your family? We start to look and we start to think, now, what, what really is the thing? What is the thing that drives me? Through careful thought and reflection as a God-centered person, we ask him, hey, le- let me know, like, where am I in this? How am I handling what you have given me to steward in this life? What should the priority in my spending be? And as you have that conversation with God and as he leads you in that, then steward that money on those priorities as God's provision allows. And enjoy it. I don't, I don't know if you knew, but like joy in this is, is a holy experience as well. And so if that's not where you are in your life, then this is the reason to consider this and consider to look at it in a God-centered way. Enjoy the good gifts that God has provided. I'm not saying not to have self-discipline. I'm not saying to not have moderation. A God-centered person will pursue those things too, but it's good for us to enjoy what God has blessed us with. And it's possible as a God-centered person, as a Christ follower, to spend money in such a way that isn't selfish or sinful, but even honors God. So here's the, here's the thing, going back to that graphic, you might, well, that's kind of weird because the black line is, that's God's provision. The blue line, like, that's, that's what it looks like to spend within God's provision. So how does that work? Because there's this gap there, and that's kind of strange because shouldn't we spend or shouldn't we do, like, everything that God has with us? Well, that gap and that green arrow represents something that I think is very important in a very God-honoring way of being a good steward. It's called margin. One of the things that we do when we put ourselves in tough situations like debt, uh, we're not prepared for an emergency that comes in our life that we haven't realized and thought through and looked at the ways that God has interacted with his people throughout history and has done things like this guy named Joseph where he takes him into this country named Egypt and he says, hey, for seven years, everything's going to be great and it's going to be, but for seven more years after that, things are not going to be so hot. And so you need, to, like, you need to think about that, and that's how life goes, because we live in a broken world, and God knows that, and he provides for us in order to stand up under those moments. And so he gives us more, if we're honest, particularly in this country, he gives us more than we need, and so we can be good stewards of that and prepare in ways to get rid of things like debt that keep us away from the freedom and joy that God calls us into. 
that we can choose to live within God's current provision for our lives and prioritize our spending, and we can create margin. And we can use that to pay off debt. Or we can use that to go on vacation with our family, which is a holy and joyful thing. Or we can use that to be generous to other people and to causes and to ways that God wants to further his kingdom. It's It's freedom. It's removing ourselves from the slavery and the debt and the ownership that debt has over us and to live joyfully within God's provision for our lives. And so, I, I mean, just from a very practical standpoint this morning, you are the only one who can decide where you are on the spectrum of trusting God with his provision in your life. You're the only one who can honestly, well, you can ask other people in your life for a godly to give you godly wisdom and godly advice, but you're the only one who can make that decision to decide, hey, I'm, I, need to, I need to, even with my money, like I need to live differently, that I can't compartmentalize that part of my life and keep it over here like we talked about last week. That maybe if we're falling for the lie of self-sufficiency and safety and security that we get by accruing things that we can't afford and don't need, that that won't bring us contentment, and that God will. And so part of that is committing to living within God's current provision for your life and setting aside time this week to prayerfully consider, like, is that what I'm doing with the stuff that God has entrusted me with to steward for him? And as you match up those priorities with God's current provision, determine which priorities you can joyfully embrace and which might need to be delayed. Maybe this margin will help you erase the current debt that you have. Maybe this margin will help build an emergency fund for the future. Maybe this margin will increase you and will maybe this margin will enable you to increase and be more generous to the gospel of Jesus. And so maybe for you this week, maybe the next step is, is to pray through it and think through that. It's like, hey, where am I on the graph? Where am I on the spectrum? Maybe for you, it's man, I've had nobody ever say anything like this about money. Never had anybody help me budget before. I'm in debt. I don't know how to do anything. You know, that when it comes, comes to this, I'm not a financial advisor, and so you're not going to come to me for that kind of, well, especially because you don't want to hear what I have to say about money anyway, right? I, I'm, just, I'm just joking. Um, but so, so what do I do then? Well, we've talked about this before, and we've offered this opportunity at, at Velocity, and we do quite regularly. It's called Financial Peace University. And uh, there's going to be an opportunity a little bit later in the service to hear more about that and ask as many questions as you want, but you can sign up for that and take that class, which is the approach for that is to say, hey, as a God-centered person, how can I honor God and how I steward his finances and provision for me in my life? Every one of us can t- take steps today to live within God's provision for our life. And so wherever you are on this journey, whether everything's perfectly good, well, you know somebody who's not, and so help them through that. Or everything's perf- perfectly terrible, doesn't matter where you are on this journey, there is a next step. And there is freedom, and there is joy and contentment for what God provides for us. And that's one of the things he enables for us as we follow his son Jesus as we live our lives. Let me, let me pray for us. God, um, I just ask that in such a topic that is tense for so many different marriage and so, marriages and so many different individuals um, that you would help us to see how readily available your provision for 
us is in that when we look at our bank accounts and we look at our savings that we don't see something that robs us of joy but something that enables us to see your provision for joyful contentment as we discipline ourselves as we're joyful for the good gifts that you provide for us as we make a decision to live life in a different way than the directions, so many directions that we're pulled when it comes to our finances. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things